Hello, my field daisies. Welcome to the first episode of Daisyish Days, the podcast. For those of you who don't know, my name is Daisy, and Daisyish Days used to be a blog where I would write about media, technology, fashion, pop cultural, viral trends—just basically my interests. And I was kind of a terrible blogger. I was so bad at consistently writing, and I would basically write for a month and then stop for six months. So now, Daisyish Days is going to be a weekly podcast. What you're listening to right now.、Um, <laughs> it's easier for me, honestly, to talk an hour and then post. And this is content you can actually consume. I know no one has time. To read anymore, so this is something you can listen to while you're driving to work or doing laundry. It's basically something you can do while you do other things. If <laughs> yes, so if you are new,、uh, you must be very confused as to why I am calling you a field daisy.、Uh, it's how I began every blog post, and it's a nod to one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, and her poem "When Death Comes." Uh, the poem is about approaching life and death with enthusiasm, living life in such a way that when death comes, you feel at ease and excited because you know you've lived life to the fullest, and death is just another chapter、um, that you are waiting to enter. And there is a line specifically about. Thinking about life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular. So, field daisies, or scientifically known as oxeye daisies, are considered common weeds. Actually, you'll find them、um, in your playground, on a on a park, in your front lawn.、Um, they are drought resistant and they spread like wildfire. So, yeah, you can. I remember as a kid,、uh, we used to have recess, right? And then I would see these little These little tiny oxeye daisies, and we would make little crowns and bracelets with them. And yeah, that's kind of off topic. But whenever I start my blog or now this podcast with "Hello, my field daisies," I really should be saying "Hello, my fellow field daisies," because I consider myself a field daisy as well. Um, as humans, we all tend to have this egocentric view on the world, thinking our problems are so critical and significant. But in actuality, our life is just one flower in a sea of flowers.、Uh, a sea. If you look kind of, if you think about the world as a field of daisies, I guess you'll see just white and yellow. Just this constant white and yellow. But.、Um, That doesn't mean our life is meaningless or our problems are meaningless.、Uh, from afar, you know, a field of daisies look the same, but when you get down into it, you can pick up each one and see something different. Each one is beautiful in its own way, just as no two flowers are exactly the same. No two people share the same life, and that's how intricate our universe is. I just, I just love the dichotomy of thinking about people as、um, both common and singular, which is how the poem describes、uh, life as a field daisy.、Uh, we are both not special and special at the same time. So that's kind of a good way to keep in mind、um, the meaning of life, I guess, and the way our life is situated in everyone else's life.、Um, 
And I, I kind of also say hello, my field daisies, as a reminder of myself of the poem when death comes, because I often struggle with living life with no regrets and being terrified of death because I haven't made something of my life yet. Uh, that's just not a really good way to think, honestly. And so saying the phrase really motivates and humbles me because it reminds me that my life is precious and everyone else's lives are precious as well. And I hope when you hear this phrase, you're reminded of that too. So uh, without further ado, I want to end this intro with a few sentences that have been in my About Me section since the beginning. Uh, the About Me has changed as I graduated college and got jobs, but this phrase has always been there, and it's the reason why Daisyish Days started. I wanted to do something that made me happy and excited about life, and blogging was just my creative outlet to really be me. So yeah, this intro will probably be a lot shorter, but I just kind of wanted to say hi for the first episode and welcome you to my brand new podcast. So uh, let me say these few sentences and then we'll roll the intro music. Let's face it, life is short. We all know this, yet sometimes this notion slips our minds as we carry out the mundane steps of living. I believe the trick to avoiding this dreadful cycle is to find something that you love to do. So this podcast is about me hoping to find my voice in this dauntingly vast world and maybe inspiring some of you to find your voice as well. All right, roll the intro music. that wonderful intro song was for my dear friend Yara. You can check out her album Grayscale on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Just type in Grayscale and Y-A-R-A. The song was produced by her friend Gibson Buttfield and... I don't know you, kind sir, but your last name is amazing because not only do I love big butts, but I also love fields and my field daisies. <laughs> okay. I, I promise I won't be making some dumb butt joke at the beginning of every podcast, but you do have a cheeky last name, sir. <laughs> anyway, so how will Daisy Stays the podcast be different from Daisy Stays the blog? Uh, well, it's going to be much of the same content just without the fashion blogger posts. So when Daisy Stays first started, it was strictly a fashion blog. I would take pictures of my outfits, write about um, what brand they were, where they were from, and why I styled them together. And that was fun for a while. And then I realized talking about your clothes got stale pretty quickly. There is only so much you can say about like patterns and you know high high and low skirts and mixing black and brown whatever. Um, yeah, so 
Daisy Stays quickly transitioned into me geeking out about media and its influence on society. And while we're here, I should probably give a definition of what I mean by media because there are a lot of different definitions. Uh, I'm using media sort of as an umbrella term. So it is basically, um, I guess, entertainment and information and anything that you really consume that is that. So, um, you know, television shows, movies, songs, books, even breaking news, um, advertisements as well. And there's also a thing called social media now. So basically, our entertainment and information that we consume about others, uh, whether it be our peers, our complete strangers, our celebrities, whatever. And then I, I love talking about technology in general, but in, in particular, communication technology. So any avenue that you can consume your information or entertainment, you know, like your actual flat screen TV, the internet, your smartphone, virtual reality headsets, etc. Um, I was a media studies major at Cal, hashtag MSCal forever. <laughs> um, these dumb jokes I'm sorry <laughs> but um yeah no uh my major didn't really necessarily give me any practical information like some mass communication degrees um give you skills on how to work in the media industry and mine was very theoretical it was not um anything that I could really use in the real world I would say but I I, I don't regret it because it changed my view of the world um, it really gave me a bird's eye view on media and I saw what an influence media has on our perception of other people and cultures and I became a scholar of communication theory and I learned how to dissect the media industry. Uh, I, I, I kind of learned how to take a step back and see media for what it really is and uh, I looked at how like uh, social, political, and economic factors influence media and how in turn Media also influences our culture, our policies, our buying and economic decisions. So yeah, um, if you want to geek out about media with me, then this is the podcast for you. Because uh, I, I feel like today's world is saturated in different types of media. Now, more than ever, um, communication is no longer for the masses. And um, I think it's strange that um, some universities still call um, media studies mass communications or whatever, because I just feel like communication is now very niche focused. Um, that's something I really noticed that's different about our day and age in the 21st century. Uh, there is just so much information in the world nowadays that it is impossible to consume everything. And, and this, this amount of choices really means that media is now influencing each person differently. And so this podcast is kind of my opinions on where society is headed in terms of media and how media is becoming more complex and advanced. And um, yeah, while I still adore fashion, I love talking about, um, you know, it, I, I probably won't be talking about my outfits or style in particular. I'll probably just be talking about fashion news um, instead. And just a big disclaimer as well, like I do not consider myself a media expert or guru by any means. I'm just kind of an enthusiast that likes to talk about it. Although 
On the other hand, I do think I semi-predicted the future in a couple situations, like, for example, um, in, in 2014, I talked about why Spotify is now the new iTunes, and and um, I think that is completely obvious now in 2019, but um, back then, iTunes was still sort of a big thing, I guess. Um, Spotify launched in 2008, but I really didn't get into it until 2013-ish, um, when I got a student discount I got half off the um, premium subscription and that's when I really really started to see the benefits of Spotify Um, because like I was saying before how um, there is just so much information to consume there are so many um, music styles and artists or whatever to consume nowadays like there is a ton and um yeah, it would be really, really impractical to buy every album and every song that you listen to nowadays because that would be ridiculously expensive. So just paying a flat monthly fee for unlimited music is really, really appealing. And I think the subscription-based model is just the, the norm now. There is Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, all these um, television and movie watching sites um, that exist. And then there's also just random subscription stuff like you can like I get a subscription for my contacts like so I don't even oh not a subscription I would say that's that's something different that's like um delivering to your house I guess and so like every month instead of having to go and physically buy contacts I just um it just automatically renews that's something different off topic anyway um so back to Spotify and why I thought it was the new iTunes. Um, the reason why I feel like I semi predicted the future is because in 2015, summer of 2015, Apple launched Apple Music, which is basically a copy of Spotify. It's a streaming service that I really haven't gotten into because I, I started with Spotify and I don't really feel like switching now. Um, but yeah, no, I think iTunes still exists, but um, Apple did jump onto the music streaming game. Um, so yeah. And then there's this also this other article that I want to mention, um, that I wrote, um, that doesn't really necessarily predict the future per se, but I just thought it was a very interesting concept. Um, I wrote about how social media, uh, was the new answering machine. And, and what I mean by this, um, I was referencing an episode in Breaking Bad. And also if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, please go watch it. It is, I think one of the best well-written tv shows out there and it ended so beautifully like the reason why i love breaking bad is because um vince gilligan didn't really um didn't try to prolong the series right and so it ended right when it needed to end in my opinion that's why i really like it anyway so in season three episode three um jesse pinkman he is uh, I guess I need to describe what Breaking Bad is for those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock. So basically this guy named Walter Wright, he um, is the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, Brian Cranston. I'm so bad at pronouncing names, as you guys will tell. But anyway, he was a chemistry teacher, got cancer, decided to break bad and start uh, cooking meth to try to make money to uh, support his family after he died. And then Jesse Pinkman is his basically one of his old high school chemistry students who was just like a druggie and very um, not a good chemistry student, but he did have like an in into the drug world. So he gets kind of looped in into being Walter's sidekick. And Walter White is a um, interesting character in the fact that he 
he is definitely the villain, but because he is the main character, you sort of fruit for him in a weird way. Um, he kills a lot of people in the show, and he really, really um, does a lot of horrible things. For example, um, Jesse had a girlfriend named Jane, and he didn't necessarily kill Jane, but um, he did watch her die and did not do anything to help solve that. So, um, now she's dead and Jesse has no idea that Walter had any part in her death, but he keeps calling Jane's voicemail to hear her voice. Um, and I sort of related that to a poem by Linda Pastan, uh, The Answering Machine, where um, someone dies in her life and she um, basically calls the voicemail sort of for the accidental mercy of it. The fact that um, when someone dies, it's like there, there's so many things to take care of that no one really considers shutting down someone's voicemail or their phone, you know, and so... Um, she dials the number that she knows by heart and she listens to the accidental mercy of the voicemail and then hangs up. So yeah, um, this, this sort of trope, I guess, this storyline trope of listening to someone's uh, voicemail after they're dead, I've seen it in other places as well. For example, How I Met Your Mother, um, Marshall's dad dies and there's this whole episode about how his dad left him a voicemail before he died and that he just couldn't, that he didn't, just didn't have the heart to listen to it um, because he just couldn't take the idea of listening to his voice again. There's just something that um, hearing someone's voice is just so much more powerful than a photograph or whatever, you know? And so, yeah, um, and it ends really beautifully when he finally does listen to the voicemail and it just kind of gives him the closure that he needs. And the point that I'm trying to make is that we're entering into an age where social media has become the answering machine of our generation. I, I don't like I rarely get voicemails anymore. Like no one leaves voicemails. If you call someone and they don't answer, just you typically just get a text. Like no one takes the time to leave a voicemail anymore. And I know I know a lot of people that don't even have um, personalized voicemails anymore. Like they just say their name or it's just their a machine saying their name number or whatever like I remember back in the day we used to sing our voicemails we used to have like such creative ones that's not a thing anymore so the accidental mercy of answering machines is being replaced by something not so accidental um, babies born in 2019 this year are going to have their entire lives timelined or documented on social media Facebook Instagram whatever um and people no longer need to be famous to have their lives memorialized. Um, we are actively creating a memorial for ourselves each and every day. Um, it's a bit of a morbid thought to think that each time you tweet, uh, you're leaving a digital footprint that someone can look at once you're dead. Uh, but I think it could be considered a good thing because your social media accounts don't necessarily become disconnected once you stop using them. And so if your loved one is not around anymore, maybe write on their Facebook wall or comment on one of their Instagrams because who knows, maybe heaven has Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's kind of cheesy, but you get the point. These are, this is kind of what I'll be talking about on Daisy Days. So um, now we're kind of at the end of part one. Uh, yay, we've made it. Um, and so now is um, I'm going to do a short, little short, um, sincere shout out from future Daisy. And this is eventually where advertisements will go if I ever get any ads, which I highly doubt, but 
one can dream. And I hope you guys know that if I do get any advertisements, um, please don't consider myself a sellout. Like I need to, I, I really want to make a living off of this and girls got to eat. And um, please know also that I would never, ever promote something that I've n- I haven't tried or that I don't believe in. Um, I actually really like talking about products. Um, I am a victim of consumerism and I do take pride in some of the things that I use and buy. So um, yeah. Also, these little shout outs are mainly so I can have a break from talking because it is surprisingly hard to be on it um, for even like 15 minutes. I don't know how some podcasters just talk for an hour straight, but I need a break. So here's a short little sincere shout out and we'll be right back to talk more about media. Okay, the first sincere shout out has to go to this app that I've been using for about four months now. It is called Headspace. It is a guided meditation app that was founded by Londoner Andy Pudicum, and he was also a former Buddhist monk. And the reason why I love this app is because it really demystifies meditation. It makes it so easy and simple. There's these fun little cartoons that kind of go through um, how to meditate, and there's like this whole basics course section. And not only that, they have a plethora of meditation options. Like I, I did a 30-day course on sleep and how to rethink about sleep. And they have this whole section on how to wind down and sleep sounds. And currently I'm doing a 30-day course on self-esteem. Um, but you, they, it's more than just courses. They have one-off meditations as well, as well three-minute meditations, everyday headspace. Uh, for example, today I did a headspace on emotions and how um, how to feel them without really getting lost in them, I guess. But yeah, they have meditations for everything, stressful conversations, um, productivity, whatever. And, um, if you really want to check it out, I highly recommend it. Headspace.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I know this is just back to back for you guys, but for me, it's been a couple minutes. So, um, I want to dedicate this next little section to talk about a social media app that I find particularly interesting, and that is Snapchat. For those of you who don't use Snapchat, because I know some people don't, uh, they brand themselves basically as the fastest way to share a moment, and that is because Snapchat is essentially a camera. When you open the app, it goes directly to the recording camera um, part. <laughs> I cannot talk. Um, anyway, yeah, and you, you basically, you record, you take a picture, and then you either post it to your story, which disappears in 24 hours, or you send it to your friends, and they can watch it once, or they can replay it once, so twice, they can watch it twice. Um, and in 2014, I wrote about how Snapchat was sort of replacing texting for me, and not that I was not texting at all, but a lot of my communication that I was doing with my friends was through Snapchat. And I think the brevity and decaying nature of a snap was what made it so addicting. Um, yeah, it gave you a chance to really post without regret because it disappears in 24 hours. It's, um, you know, a, a lot of social media with like uh, Facebook and Instagram, you kind of post a heightened version of yourself. The most picturesque, best moments of your life lives go on those social medias and the thing I liked about Snapchat was that it wasn't that it was sort of the real you um now it seems a bit um 
well, semi-fake because with all the filters and stuff, but it's still something that I found interesting and different from other social medias. Um, this was in 2014, by the way. And um, back then, um, Facebook even offered Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat, um, $3 billion to buy the app, and Evan turned it down. And I thought it was such a good idea back then. Um because it was such a boss move to turn down $3 billion. And it, honestly, it was a good decision. Um, because once um, they became public, um, their stakes in the company was valued at $4 billion. There, I mean him and then the other co-founder. I cannot remember his name. But yeah, one more billion than Mark Zuckerberg offered for sure. But then in 2016... Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, by the way, um, came out with Instagram stories, which is basically a complete copy of Snapchat, just integrated into the Instagram app. So basically, there's a section now where you can post 24 hour stories. And it's funny, it's hard to remember a time that Instagram didn't have Instagram stories, even though it was only three years ago. Or so. Um, that's the funny thing about the interfaces of um, social media. Like, remember when Facebook used to not have timeline and just a wall? Like, that seems forever ago. And I cannot even imagine Facebook without a timeline now. Or like header cover images. Um, that that didn't used to be a thing either. Anyway, I'm digressing. Instagram came out with Instagram Stories, and it, honestly, it it was in a way better than Snapchat. Um, you could tag users, hashtags, locations, um, there was more of a user base and a lot of people started migrating away from Snapchat because more people were using Instagram and they were getting more views on their Instagram stories. And that's something too, that I really, um, kind of admire Snapchat for in a certain way. Um, because it is an underdog, but it's still thriving. It's still kicking. Um, the latest news is that it's, it's not, it hasn't decreased in users. I think um, they're at 186 or so million daily active Snapchat users. So but they were really decreasing for a while, but now they seem pretty steady. Um, I, I Googled some social media. I literally just Googled Instagram and Snapchat statistics. And then I found this company called Omnicore. And um, they, they, they say, and this is in 2018, that the total number of monthly active users on Snapchat is 300 million plus. But on Instagram, total number of monthly active users is like 1 billion, dude. And um, yeah, and the daily active users on Instagram, 500 million. Daily active users on Snapchat, 100, they say 188 million. So uh, maybe it's gone down by 2 million since then. But anyway, I, I, the one of the last posts I wrote on my blog was about Snapchat and asking, will Snapchat make it past 2018? So I wrote, so in January 2018, I uh, wrote about how I spent New Year's Eve dancing at a bar in Santa Monica. And then when the countdown hit, the DJ told everyone to pull out their phones. And, and what did I see on everyone's phone, myself included? was Snapchat's home screen and everyone's thumb on the record button. And then that just that just made me think, like, will Snapchat make it past 2018 or will we be ringing 2019 with a different app? And um, I actually run 2009, rang, wrong, rang 2019 with my camcorder. So I went pretty old school. But um, 
I think the problem with Snapchat was that the addiction of brevity just kind of went away. People want to be able to replay. Um, they want to be able to have like a permanent, you know, thing. And um, so that's sort of the problem with Snapchat. Um, it, it has yet to really offer features that influencers and businesses crave. Um, especially businesses, because no one really wants to advertise on Snapchat when it just disappears, you know? And that's something that Instagram slash Facebook has really been able to capitalize on um, because social media at the end of the day is a business. Um, while it is a place to connect the average Jane and the average Joe, um, it is still a business. And the number of business, businesses on Instagram is 25 million and um, it's an estimated that 71% of U.S. businesses are on Instagram, and this is in 2018, and um, from the same study um, from Omnicore. But um, yeah, they say that 7 out of 10 hashtags on Instagram are branded. Isn't that crazy? That, um, yeah, 7 out of 10, that's ridiculous. Um, and that's the thing. Um like I said, advertisers don't necessarily want to work with a social media whose whole gimmick is disappearing content. And, you know, influencers don't really see a point in using Snapchat because more people use Instagram and Instagram stories is basically the same thing. And that is that is just really interesting to me because social media is such a fickle business. I don't know if any of you guys remember Vine, um, but yeah. You're really only as strong as your user base, or, or more importantly, you're as strong as your influencer base. So influencers, whatever, your celebrities, your YouTubers, your little cousin that does lip syncing videos, these people have the ability to attract thousands upon thousands of followers um, with their content. And if social media executives don't play nice with influencers, the app will surely fail. I mean, just look at Vine. When So there's this really popular story of when nearly 20 of Vine's top influencers, influencers tried to intervene with a deal that included giving them each $1.2 to do three Vines a week to boost Vine's engagement, Vine refused. And now it's dead. Um yeah, I mean, 1.2 million is a lot, granted, but I mean, it's is it better than pure extinction? I don't know. And um, one of my favorite Viners, I didn't really get into Vine, but one of my favorite YouTubers now, David Dobrik, he started as a Viner, and now he's a vlogger on YouTube. And um, I, I say vlog also very loosely. His vlogs are very heightened um, reality vlogs, like it's a very heightened version of their lives. And um, they're really cool, though. You should check them out. They're, they're all four minutes and 20 seconds, <laughs> even though he's not a marijuana smoker. But yeah. He used to put on his um he used to put his Snapchat at the end of his YouTube videos, um saying you know follow me on Snapchat. But now he just says his vlogs continue on Instagram Stories. So yeah, he's really migrated away from Snapchat. He used to snap a lot, but now it's mainly just Instagram. And so yeah, um, this brings me to I guess some breaking news about Snapchat or just not even breaking news. Let's just say rumors. There's um along around the rumor mill. Um like in the beginning of January, uh there are rumors that Snapchat may allow public stories that don't disappear. And that this just blows my mind because like I said their whole gimmick was disappearing content. 
And um, there's a bunch of speculation on how Snapchat users will react because um, when Snapchat redesigned their whole app, because it used to be you see all the snaps in chronological order. So, I'll, you know, I'll have snaps from my friends and then right below it, it'd be David Dobrik, like just in whatever order that they um, snap, it's there. But then they redesigned it where so your friends are on one page and then there's a discover page where the celebrities and there's news articles that are on there. But people hated it. Um, there was even like this petition on change.org or something that 1 million people signed to get Snapchat to change their interface back. And man, yeah, no, the, the Snapchat is now very confusing. While I still use the app, I really don't like the Discover page. Like I never go on it. And um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about the whole um, public stories that are permanent I mean, on one hand, I kind of really like it because I feel like that's just giving them an opportunity to allow businesses to really thrive, I guess, and to allow influencers to also have a place where people can come back to. But then it's just like they're trying to, you know, copy Instagram. And I don't think that's really necessarily the right move because they're with social media, like you have to offer something new, right? Because if it's just the same thing, it's really hard to do. Like Instagram kind of lucked out, I guess, with Instagram stories. Um, but I think that is just, yeah, I don't think Snapchat can copy them and, and get more followers or users, sorry, than Instagram. It just doesn't seem possible, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, I still love Snapchat. And, you know, the main reason why I love Snapchat is because of their filters, honestly. They are so much better than Instagram story filters. And I think Snapchat is great because their technology, their augmented reality technology, I guess that's what you call it, like filters in general, that's what makes it appealing to me. And that's why I think they still have a fine, like fighting chance because they they really invest a lot into um, their technology. And... Um, Another reason why I think they have a fighting chance is because they are still the um, network of choice for teens. Um, the thing about Instagram and Facebook is they're sort of like, for one, Facebook is definitely dead now because all the parents are on it and none of the kids want to be on the same social media as their parents. And so, and Instagram is starting to slowly be like that too. My mom just got an Instagram, but I don't think any old people will get on Snapchat. Like that just doesn't seem... Maybe they will, who knows? But anyway, um, there was a study done by RBC in 2018 that found that 79% of US 13 to 18 year olds surveyed said that they have a Snapchat account more than any other type of social media. And okay, so percents are a bit tricky, and especially because I, I used to be a consumer researcher and they're semi-meaningless. I mean, it all depends on sampling and the quality of your sample. But I can't help but think it's true. Um, I follow, I don't follow that many people under 18, but I do follow my little cousin and my um, old boss's daughter. And the thing is that um, Snapchat is just like, it's just, it's complicated to use, but that's kind of what makes it a little bit addicting. So like they have these weird scores on them, right? So if you click on um, your uh, profile user thing, like just click on your little face, your bitmoji, you can see like this number by your name. And that's just, I think how much you use Snapchat, like the more more you use it, the higher your score is. So my score is about 20k. Um, I don't really use it that often because I mean, not a lot of my friends are on Snapchat. But for my cousin and my old boss's daughter, they're like their scores are like 300k plus. So I really do think this younger generation is 
using Snapchat. And I think Snapchat is banking on that. Um, especially, um, they, they, they came out with a snap original show with bad baby. I don't know if you guys know her. She's a 15 year old rapper. She got famous off of Dr. Phil. She's the catch me outside girl, but yeah, no, they, they have a whole, they, they filmed a whole, um, uh, horizontal, uh, facing show on Snapchat for her. And they, they, they took out a billboard on sunset strip. It was an AR enabled billboard. So, um, yeah, so you could basically hold up your phone on Snapchat and, um, bad baby basically talks to you through a skyscraper skyscraper tall, um, billboard. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I hope honestly that Snapchat sticks around but who knows, right? And so I'll definitely be keeping you updated um, because I do think this kind of thing is interesting. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> One more breaking news that I just literally, I, I just Googled Snapchat and looked at their news articles about them. They are potentially um, having um, like mobile gaming on their platform. And I think this is a more like, I think this is actually going to happen. Like, I don't think this is like public stories might not happen, but I think they are definitely becoming, they're going to incorporate some gaming into their platform. Um, it's basically allowing third party games um, and users to play them through the Snapchat application. And yeah, there's a bunch of reports showing that they, they've bought a lot of um, or invested, I guess, in a lot of third party gaming developers, um, like the people that um, developed Fruit Ninja, if y'all remember that. Um, pretty great is a developer and Snapchat invested in them. Um, they also invested in developer Jetpack Joyride, whatever that is. Um, but yeah, I, I'm even seeing, um, a lot of games pop up on Snapchat now. Like when you hit the filter button, some of the filters are games. Like yesterday I, I played this. It's, it's, I mean, they're really basic games. Like there's just this weird, um, game, um, this like hamburger game where you basically drop toppings of a hamburger and seeing how high you can stack it. It reminds me of, I used to play this game when I was a kid, um, this Johnny Bravo, um, thing where he like holds a platter and like all these like ingredients are falling off and you basically have to stack high it's the same thing you have to stack a hamburger really high anyway um this is really interesting to me as well because i think this is kind of banking again on their younger user demographic um and i think this is more of a better move honestly than making stories permanent and public because it is offering something different. I don't think Instagram will ever offer games, but if Snapchat does this, I feel like they can really keep their user base steady. Because at the end of the day, it's not like you're trying to surpass Instagram's user base. That's almost impossible. But as long as you keep yourself steady, uh, you can keep yourself and your employees employed. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy listening to me talk about media i honestly don't know um you can let me know too if you don't enjoy this maybe i can um, alter my content a little bit um but yeah so we're gonna take another little um short sincere shout out break um and then i'm just gonna come back and end this podcast with um some of the things some of the media that i'm consuming that i'm really really loving right now um so yeah Stay tuned. 
this last sincere shout out has to go to Misfit Wearables. So um, they're basically an activity tracker wearable technology app, like, you know, like smartwatches, that kind of thing. And I've been using Misfit for oh god um maybe two or three years now um i have a misfit ray and the reason why i like misfit is because they are they're i think the most like fashion forward wearable technology brand out there um I I don't really like smart watches because I like I'm more of an analog watch kind of girl. I'm pretty old school and I just wanted a simple wearable thing that I could track my sleep mainly um, because I am an insomniac so I do like to know how much sleep I get every night. Um, but yeah, I have the Misfit Ray. It's so super, super sleek. It's just this um, black silicone band that I have and then, then the actual... Um, thing is like a cylinder a gold cylinder and that's it it's just a gold cylinder with a little um place that has like a light up thing where you can basically like if you get a call or a text or a tinder match whatever or a wechat um it'll light different colors and then you then you have to check your phone to um see what it is but i like that like i don't like having all of my notifications on my wrist like i think that's too much but yeah um the if you really want a sleek really nice looking um wearables technology activity fitness tracker notification thingy um try misfit honestly i i i wear it to work out i wear it to fancy events i literally i don't even take it off ever and um yeah and the thing also that i like about it is that it is battery powered some smart watches you have to charge at night and i'm just like that's that seems pointless because then you you lose a a, a night of data you know anyway um, they used to have these misfit rays. Like, I think they were just doing a blowout sale. Like they were literally, they're like $200, right? And they were selling them for 20 bucks, but they're all sold out now. Um, but I think you can still get them on Amazon. So if you, um, just go to Amazon, type in misfit ray and you'll find it. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I guess back to the podcast. All right, so this last little section is basically going to be dedicated to all the media that I am currently geeking out over, and we're going to start with music. Uh, So I have been listening on repeat to this song called Blue Hundreds, Blue Hundreds, (laughs) by Holy Mattress Money. So it's, um, if, if you don't know, my music taste is very, someone once described it as like emo pop. Basically, like, really nice, uh, catchy beat, but then, like, the lyrics are so emo. Um, Blue Hundreds is not really necessarily emo, but, like, I just like really, I guess, emotional lyrics. Um, it's a love song, and, um, I mean, what is more electric than two lovers? Uh, that's one of the lyrics. Anyway, um, yeah, this is a this is a relatively new um, artist. Um, they don't really have, they don't have an album out yet. Um, and yeah, it it's basically kind of like the Calvin Harris thing, I think, where it's just like a producer and, um, he like gets artists to sing on his tracks. I think, I'm not sure. Like I said, I just recently got into this band, but yeah, um, the producer's from, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, actually. And, uh, his name is Daryl, um, quote unquote, Jetsy Green. And yeah, um, Blue Hundreds, such a good song. And also, I didn't know this, but um, apparently, um, Holy Mattress Money, the name of the, I guess his quote unquote music name, he likes to pun um, Holy Matrimony. Um, and yeah, 
and basically a holy mattress money also like alludes to like how some people store cash under their beds and Jetsy was like it's been a place to invest so basically this um, whole endeavor is kind of yeah been a money maker for him honestly um he has this song alone has over two million streams on spotify so moving on <laughs> another thing i guess we'll move on to tv that i am obsessing over is uh umbrella academy obviously i bet i mean everyone under and their grandmother is talking about this netflix original series but um yeah basically it's kind of a superhero story based on um a comic series written by gerard way former frontman of my chemical romance and it's about how um like 29 years ago, 43 women gave birth uh, at the same time. Um, none of them were pregnant before that morning. And then so um, seven of those children were adopted by a mysterious billionaire. And um, they all have um, superpowers. And yeah, no, it's not like your typical superhero TV series. Like the family is very dysfunctional and a lot of it is just um, humor. Like it's not, it's not very serious in that respect. And yeah, the characters are just so interesting and so funny. And yeah, um, I'm really, really hoping they have a season two and it's likely that they will. Um, this data analytics firm, Parrot Analytics, um, they claim to track demand of streaming TV and they announced like um, that the week of when it was, was released um, in like February 15th or something, um, that week uh, they, uh, they tracked the demand for streaming TV and their metrics showed that Umbrella Academy was the most watched American digital original programming for that week. Um, it was in the top um, zero... 0.03% of all shows and it was demonstrating increasing strength around the globe and yeah it's all that uh, anyone uh, I've talked to about TV they 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 bring it up so if you have Netflix um please check it out it's really really good another thing on Netflix I, I'm just a bunch of Netflix things but yes um season three of Queer Eye is just came out and I binged the whole thing uh, like that day it is incredibly good if you haven't heard of queer eye it's basically more than a makeover it's these five fabulous gay guys um they're quote unquote fab five and they basically help people transform their lives um, um anthony one of them does like cooking another um guy does well, let me look up their names before i do anything yeah and then um karamo is kind of like the culture he's like a psychotherapist jonathan does hair tan does fashion bobby does like the um, interior design of their house it is amazing it is inspirational um, season three was really really great and um, they did their first lesbian on the show actually and um, I was reading in the news today that um, yeah she was basically kicked out of her home at 16 by her adopted family when they discovered she was a lesbian and then she later tried going to University of Kansas to study computer science but then had to drop out because of a bunch of student loan debt and after being on the show, um, she got so much support that even one of her fans created a GoFundMe campaign to help her raise money to go back to school. And yeah, they, they have a goal for about uh, 10K. They've raised 17K since it launched um, March 16th. So like, yeah, so that's incredible. It's incredible, I think, how, um, yeah. It's just like how TV or even like news or anything nowadays, like you, once you're on that thing and like people really relate to you, 
like magical things can happen i guess but yeah um her episode her name is jess um season three episode five definitely check that one out check out the whole series actually um another interesting thing that i i was watching some interviews um uh, of all the queer eye guys but karamo the guy is a psychotherapist that does like the culture kind of like breaking down um you know why these people are this way and like how to help them move on and and be better versions of themselves um he actually said in an interview with Sirius XM that he hated watching season one of Queer Eye um because um a, a lot like uh he did all this work and all this therapy stuff with um these people and then the, the editors cut out a lot of it and so like yeah and I actually kind of noticed that too um in season one like I, I actually like I didn't really like Karama and he's talking about that in, in his interview with Sirius XM how like fans would be like oh, I don't really like him because he doesn't really do much and that's because the editors didn't show you kind of what he did and so yeah um now they do and in season three you can really see um why and how he um helps um the i guess the the team you know because he's the one that really um talks to the people about because a lot of these people you know like they're they're recluses they're really quiet they're not confident in themselves and karama really brings out why um they are this way and how they can be different like for example he, he took like one guy rock climbing and um yeah he, he basically gets them out of their shell all of them are great, honestly. Um, Queer Eye is an amazing show. Please check it out if you haven't. Um, and then another thing on Netflix that I'm thinking of, because I guess I should talk about um, t- movies as well. I don't really watch movies as much, but I do love a good movie. And um, me and my mom were actually watching this uh, Chinese movie. Yeah, Netflix has a lot of international stuff if you, if you didn't know. But yeah, it's this Chinese movie called Us and Them. And, um, it's, it's, it's basically a romance, um, set in China and it is, it's really, really good. Um, basically it's the, 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 this couple, they met on a train, um, the girl didn't have a ticket. And so the guy was just like, oh, is this your ticket? So like, she wouldn't get kicked off the train. That's how they met. And then, yeah, they weren't dating for a while. Um, she, you know, she was always trying to find, um, I wouldn't necessarily call her a gold digger, but it's just kind of like, you know, she wanted to find a man that could support her. And um, yeah, and so she never really thought of this guy as much. But then, they, you know, they started dating, they had a lovely relationship, um, they broke up, and then they meet again in like 2018. So it like, does a lot of flash forwards to um, 2018. I feel like I'm giving away too much of this show. I mean, sorry, this movie. Um, I don't want to give away too much. You should watch it. It's really good. Us and them. Um, you can turn on the English subtitles. That's what I had to do. Like, I understand Chinese a good bit, but like the English subtitles definitely really helped. All right. Last, 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 last thing. Um, so I've recently gotten back into reading. I know that sounds really sad, but I I had not read a book for fun in like years. And I finally, finally started reading again for fun. Um, and I was, and I, I started out with, um, Castaways of the Flying Dutchman. And that's just like, basically like a young adult novel about a boy and his dog. And they were on the, on the Flying Dutchman. Um, but they didn't get cursed basically. Like they were on it. They were the good people on it. Um, they get swept away. 
Um, I'm not really explaining this well. Um, anyway, they get swept away. He was like, he was, um, mute and dumb. And then, and then um, the angel basically blessed him with internal, uh, him and the dog with, um, everlasting life like they can live forever they're always going to be young and he can talk to his dog like like telepathically um and they basically go around and help people um yeah that's not the book i want to talk about the book that i'm currently reading that i am obsessed over that i've been telling and talking to everyone about is um sapiens a brief history of humankind it's um it's, 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 it's a, it's a history book, but, um, it is such an engaging and enlightening read. Um, it is written by a professor. Um, his name is Yuval Noah Harari and yeah, um, it has sold, this isn't like a new book. I think it's been around for a while, but it has sold over 10 million copies. It's been translated to over 50 languages. It's been recommended by Barack Obama, um, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's on Bill Gates, like top 10 books to read as well but yeah basically it just goes through the whole history of humankind starting from when there there was like six or more species of humans and how it eventually threaded out into our type of human homo sapiens and then it goes through um our agricultural revolution a cognitive revolution and technology revolution whatever um I'm, i'm currently i think on the technology revolution part but yeah um I think there's been some criticism of the book and the fact like some historians and anthropologists or whatever, just like it's not accurate. He sensationalizes a lot of the stuff. But I mean, like, I mean, sure. But like, for one, who knows what happened in the past, right? And also, um, I I like because I don't really read a lot of history books, but this one was so engaging because it's such well-written and he is a storyteller and he does kind of assume a lot of things, but like what he says really resonates, you know? And yeah, he's been, um, he's a really popular, um, intellectual now. Um, I'm like looking at this article that he, um, basically talks about how, um, how, how does he, um, like, how does he handle being a popular intellectual? And he said that his job is basically to build a bridge between the scientific community and the general public and to make the latest scientific discoveries accessible to everyone. And that's what I think is key about this book is that it is such an easy, engaging read that, like, you cannot put it down. Um, and it's just some of the things, like, just really stick with me, like how he was talking about... Um, you know, how we cultivate like the agricultural revolution, for example, like just one example from the book and how we started basically growing wheat and grain and potatoes or whatever. And that, um, in, in, in like the evolutionary sense, um, wheat kind of, kind of, uh, took over us in a certain way in the fact that, um, it's everywhere. It's universal. Like back in the day, like wheat was maybe in only a couple small regions around the world, but because humans wanted to basically stop being hunter and gatherers, they started, um, manipulating plants, um, in in terms of a purely evolutional, evolutionary perspective, they dominate and it and so yeah it just talks about crazy things like that and um yeah if you want if you're interested in um even if you're not interested in history honestly like this this I think is a very like good book for people that aren't necessarily history buffs um so yeah sapiens um a brief history of humankind please check it out um yeah wow I can't believe it We've made it to the end of the podcast. 
I don't, you guys have no idea how many times I have recorded this first episode. I have been stressing so much about it. Um, but yeah, um, hopefully, um, these next, the next two or uh, the next episodes will be a lot easier to record. I've just been, you know, really nervous to record the first one and I keep on re-recording, but actually I'm pretty proud of this version of the podcast. So I think this is going to be the one that I post. Um, but yeah, if you really like this sort of thing, um, I'm going to try my best to get it on iTunes and Spotify and Google play and all that stuff. And, um, I'll let you know when it's all on there. And yeah, if you want to support my Patreon page, I do have one. Um, I sincerely, I don't know. I, I, I would feel very flattered if like basically Patreon is like a GoFundMe for creators and their fans. There's different tiers. Um, you can donate a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, etc., and you get access to different kinds of content. For example, um, like my fashion modely posts, um, photos. Um, if you want to see the full sets of those photo shoots, um, I'll, I'll upload them somewhere. Um, if you want me to mail you a poem, I like to write poetry. So I'll mail you a poem if you donate money to me. Um, random things like that. You don't have to donate. I honestly, I'm just happy if you listen to the podcast. But if you really want to dive deep with me, um, you can even just donate a dollar. And I can, and, uh, and I'm going to give you basically all the links um, or just like the references I have been talking about. So all like the links to my sincere shout outs. Um, so the research stuff that I was talking about with Snapchat and all the articles that I'm referencing. If you want access to that, um, you can just pay a dollar and get in on get dive deeper with me and all this media nonsense um but yeah so i'm gonna end the podcast now um thank you thank you so much for listening um i also oh yes so i have a little sign off that i do with all the blog posts i will say that the um outro music will play but then after that there's gonna be a little bonus um poetry reading um i didn't know where to fit this into the podcast like i tried to fit it into various spots and like it just sounded weird because like with poetry like reading it like after you're done it's just hard to like some because some poetry is like really emotional and sad and deep and so like after that after you read it it's just like whoa like your mind is it's hard to jump back into the podcast so i've decided um at the end of every podcast after everything is over I'm going to read you a poem because I love poetry. I love to write poetry. I love to read poetry. And I think poetry is best read out loud. Um, If you're not into that kind of stuff, you don't have to. You can just skip on to the next episode or whatever. But yeah. Okay. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And I hope you have a daisyish day. poetry enthusiasts feel daisies uh thanks for sticking around to hear me recite some poetry the first poem i want to recite is obviously when death comes by mary oliver i mean that's how daisy stays and the whole philosophy behind it started and that's why you're called a field daisy so i it has to be the first poem and um mary oliver actually passed away um january 17th of this year and um, I can only hope that Cottage of Darkness was as beautiful as you imagined, Mary. So, let's get started. When Death Comes by Mary Oliver 
When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps a purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder rays, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. <laughs>